Hello, all, and welcome back to the JumboCast podcast. In this week's episode, Noah Goldstein and Brandon Brouse join us to talk about what went down in the MLB offseason and what's to come in the 2021 season. Then we'll talk NBA as All-Star Weekend fast approaches. But first, Owen Fitzsimons brings us another Athletes Corner, this time giving us the inside scoop on tough swimming with Ann Younger. Take it away, Owen. Thank you very much, Henry. Yes, I am joined here with Tufts University women's swimmer Ann Younger, a junior here at Tufts University. And thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Owen. Of course. Now, in a long line of Athletes Corners we've done, we have never had a swimmer on before. So the first thing that I want to ask you about is kind of the state of the program at the moment. What is going on or what what does it look like for you guys right now? Well, so in a normal year, we would have finished our season by now. But um, in November, we stopped swimming due to the rise of cases of coronavirus um, and we actually just had our first practice back today, as you can see by my nice goggle marks. <laughs> um, but so the plan right now is to kind of swim for six weeks and then have a quote unquote meet at the end of those six weeks. You know, right now we're only allowed to have 12 people at practice. So kind of two people share a lane and one person on each end of the lane. So that's, I mean, for as socially distanced as it can be. One of the other athletes we had on was talking about how the time that you guys get in the gym for a lift is super short. Is that still a thing? Yes. So we we had the option to sign up for a 30-minute lift time that's kind of swim team specific. And then there are times during the week where um, there's kind of varsity weight room drop-in times. Um, but those are also limited to 30 minutes. So it is... We would typically have an hour-long lift um, twice a week, but now it's kind of limited to a 30-minute once a week, and then whenever you need, whenever you can go. Right, a little strange given that the the NARP gym, uh, as, <laughs> as, as we, we call it, uh, is 45-minute slots at the moment. <laughs> Um, so that's a little interesting, but I guess actually the athletes gym is a little, is a little smaller. It's, yeah, it's a lot smaller. So that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of then with practice and lift, I guess we kind of talked about some changes, but what has been the, the biggest negative for you, uh, through the whole thing in regards to swimming? Ooh. Um. Just so many to choose from. <laughs> I think for me, it's probably the social aspect because, the way that they designed our or our coaches designed our practices was you'd basically be swimming with the same 12 people all week. And so during a normal year, I'd see probably more than half the team during the week uh, during practice. But now I'm only seeing, you know, 12 out of 80 people during the week. And I think that's also really hindered um, the ability to get to know the freshmen. Cause if I don't have practice with them, then I don't really know them. Cause there's no other situation where I'd be able to get to know them. Yeah. So two follow-ups. Number one, how do you guys get grouped in 12? Because I have no idea how swimming training works. Like, <laughs> is it like sprinters are on Monday or is it just like you get your own uh, sets once you're there? Um, yeah, you kind of get your own sets. You get split up into, it's either sprint, mid-distance, or distance once you get there. And you just kind of, I mean, you share a lane with whoever you are. Like, I would, I'm a sprinter, so I'd share a lane with another sprinter just to make the practice easier. Um, yeah. What is the maximum 
distance of a sprint? Uh, the maximum distance of a sprint. Well, I guess it depends what you view as a sprint, but for me, <laughs> it'd be a um, hundred, so four laps. Okay. Okay, I could <laughs> arguably swim four laps. Um, it wouldn't be very fast, but uh, get it done. Second follow-up question: Has there been any silver lining to all of it? Um, I think. I mean, one thing is having more space in the pool. Um, I don't know if this is common knowledge, but the Tufts pool was originally five lanes, and they turned it into six lanes. Awesome. So. The lanes are a lot smaller than they should be, um, and I mean during a normal year we'd have probably five or six people in a lane at once, and so just having the space to be able to actually swim is really nice. I think that's that's probably the best thing that's come out of this. Right, and and then also kind of just following up on on the practice schedule. Do you know if this is is it like a like a NESCAC thing now? All NESCAC schools are practicing, or or is this tough specific? Um, I'm not really sure if it's NESCAC specific or NESCAC. You know, I think our our practice schedule is tough specific. I haven't really heard anything about other schools, but I mean they're not competing. I think we'd know if they were competing. So uh, I'm sure they're all kind of following the same um, schedule. Um, but our team is a lot bigger than other teams. So I'm sure their um, their rules are probably different from ours. Right. And I remember, I think in the last two years, I've watched both your meet versus MIT and BC. Mm-hmm. Can you explain why a Division three swim team is competing against other Division One teams? Like, how does that work? I cannot explain that <laughs> to you. I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, do those they, count for points? Or I, I mean, they count towards our, our season. So, I mean, I don't know why they think we'd beat BC, but the men did it last year. Which, yeah, that was um, pretty which cool. Is, yeah, pretty exciting. Um, but I cannot tell you why we don't compete against more NESCAC schools during the actual season. Um, I think it's only Middlebury, Williams, and Wesleyan, to be honest. Because you do go to NESCACs. Yes. So, I I struggle to see how, how seating and stuff works. Um <laughs> I, I would assume that beating a Division One program like the men did would help, um, but also I mean, factoring yeah, I in think. different divisions in the same um, <laughs> in the same thing is is a little hard. Uh, Maybe our coaches think that swimming against a Division One school would make us swim faster to have better seed times in NESCACs, but I don't really know. Yeah, um, again, not not a swim coach myself, so we'll have to trust the professional's judgment on that one. Now, looking to the, you are junior, but looking to the people who are not juniors, mm-hmm. uh, the seniors, is there anything at all kind of that they have done specifically for seniors that the team has done, or is it just like kind of hard and sad to watch them go, <laughs> them going out in their final year? It's definitely hard and sad to watch, so... Normally, we would do um, a senior meet where we would kind of recognize each senior. Most seniors' families would come to watch the meet. Um, We had something planned for November because this semester was just so up in the air. Um, But I think at the end of our six weeks, we're going to have like a a senior meet. 
Um, where just the seniors would swim, you know, because only 12 people are allowed on deck at once. So 12 seniors at a time would just kind of have their own meet. And then we also do senior speeches. So the juniors write speeches for each of the seniors. And so we kind of, we pre-recorded those. And I think those are going to be compiled into a video for them. Um, and then this year, we're also writing letters to seniors handwritten letters so each member of the team has one or two seniors that they're writing letters to which I think is a nice addition just because I mean we can't have anything really in person with them so this makes it a little more personable for the seniors yeah that's that's a really a really nice touch we should actually we should we should talk about if Jumbo Cast can stream the senior meet. <laughs> That would be, that'd actually be really nice. Like, I think their families are, or anything yeah. that would, would appreciate it. So, yeah. obviously, space and, and capacity is at yeah. a premium. But I will actually bring it up in our meeting tonight. Okay. Um, <laughs> and last last question, as always, what has been the highlight of your tough swimming experience? Oh, that's a good one. Um, ugh, I think my most memorable experience was... On our way to Nescaxe last year, it was at Middlebury, and we were driving through the Middlebury Mountain Pass, and the bus got stuck on the road and tried to do a three-point turn to go back down, and just got stuck perpendicular to the road. The back wheels were just off the side of the road, and so uh, the women's team just had a blast in the cold Middlebury Mountains waiting for three hours for, you know, nice passerbys to take us to the Middlebury uh, Ski Lodge a couple miles away. (laughs) So, I mean, it was nice because we were all in it together. We were all laughing about it, but, I mean, it was definitely exciting. (laughs) A a memorable experience, some would call it. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I've never been through the Middlebury Mountain Pass. You make it sound it's very uh, historic. And it's just an icy two-lane road. Awesome. <laughs> I, I won't be joining you anytime, sh- anytime soon. It certainly won't be pulling any three-point turns on it. Um, but yes, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it as always. We will be in touch, I'm sure, about maybe sneak peek Jumbo Cast Senior Swim Meet. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Henry, I'll hand it back over to you. Thanks, Owen, and thank you, Anne, as well, for joining us on the podcast. Now, we'll talk with Noah and Brandon about MLB to start. Uh, first of all, been a lot of big off-season moves. Uh, Brandon, who do you think the biggest free agent or trade signing was? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me, Henry. Um, I would say the biggest addition would be, and I'm biased, I think it's Francisco Lindor. Um, I'm a huge Mets fan, but Lindor is a player who has been one of the most consistent in the MLB over the last few years. He is incredible defensively and also has that pure combination of hitting for contact and power. And I think he's exactly what the Mets needed to compete with the big dogs in the NL, such as the Dodgers, who are the number one team, not even a question, in my opinion. Uh, But the Padres have gotten better. The Cardinals have gotten better. The Braves are still very good. So I think Lindor was the biggest addition to a good team that have made them that has now made them a great team. Yeah, uh, speaking of the Mets, though, um, almost had their hands on Cy Youngler, Trevor Bauer. It seems like, uh, but he slipped away, made a big contract signing with the Dodgers. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a sore spot for me. Um, I think that Bauer is good. I am, excuse me, I think that he is a little overrated for someone who has a career ERA north of 3.6, I believe. He had one really good year in a shortened season with 13 starts. And to pay a guy like that 45, 40 to $45 million a year, I was I was pretty happy we dodged that bullet. But I'm not so thrilled that he went to our biggest competitor in the Dodgers. Um, I think if he went anywhere else, I would have been totally satisfied. Uh, similar to George Springer when you know he was wanted to command a, a six-year, $150 or $170 million a year deal. And he went to Toronto, which to me is a no harm, no foul uh, thing because we don't get him. We save the money and he goes to a team that is not going to compete with us. Maybe we'll play us in a series in the upcoming season, but, but Bauer going to the Dodgers hurt more than us not signing him. Yeah. Noah, what are your thoughts on the free agent market? For sure. Um, yeah. So I'm a big Phillies fan. Uh, not not too hot on the Mets, but I personally have to agree with Brandon uh, that Lindor was the biggest acquisition of the offseason. I just think what he does for a baseball team, not just this year, but for 10 seasons to come, uh, is pretty unmatched in the game of baseball. He's an incredible defender, can hit at the top or middle of any lineup, just an all-around great player. I also agree with Brandon. I think that Bauer's good. I don't think he's as good as he was in 2020. Uh, I thought it was interesting. You know, all the talk from Trevor Bauer in the past many years was he's, he told people, I only want to sign one-year contracts for the rest of my career. I only want to do that. And then he had the chance to get paid this year. He got paid, but he got paid on what is realistically almost certainly a two-year deal if you look at the contract numbers. Unless Bauer gets hurt in year two or really falls off, he's going to opt out after that second year. And I believe the contract pays him about $85 million in those first two years, which is a heck of a lot of money. Um, and I think he's good. Uh, and the Dodgers don't have money constraints, especially coming off a World Series win. And as the presumptive favorites for a second one as well, I also thought what their division rivals, the Padres, did was pretty pretty great um i think aj preller has to have some type of dirt on mlb executives because i don't know how they got darvish who was right there with bauer for the nl cy young running last year and blake snell who run one cy young in the al a few years ago for virtually nothing to give up one top 100 prospect uh which was insane so they are looking really good this year too locking up tatis really ensures that they are going to compete now and for the next for the foreseeable future as well yeah what do you to think about that tatis deal uh third largest in mlb history if i'm not mistaken uh for such a young player seems to be the future face of the league um a lot of money yeah <clears throat> yeah I mean, Tatis is a very good player, and more importantly, he's a he's a showman. You know, you go, you watch a game with him, and he he sticks out. He's a guy who is one of already one of the best defensive shortstops in the league, and he can hit at the plate just as well as ever, anyone else, or just as well as any other All Star. I think that it's a lot of money, and it's a long contract, and that's my biggest issue with it. You know, Tatis has played in one full season, and I wouldn't even consider this past season full because it was sixty games. And he played very well, but he's not 
I don't know if you can commit to another it's 14 years but it's an extension so I believe it's 16 years it's just that's just a long time that's someone's that's a that's almost double the length of of, of a lot of really good MLB players careers and to commit to that with that much money with I think it's 340 340 million I don't know how how much I love it I like the fact that they're locking him down but to me it seemed a little excessive I know we're in the era now of you know Bryce Harper Mike Trout Giancarlo Stanton these guys getting 10 to 13 year deals but to me 14 I don't it just seemed a little excessive I'm curious what your thoughts on Noah I actually happen to disagree um also I believe unless I'm mistaken that the 14 year deal includes the next two seasons so it's really just a 12 year uh, extension and that includes some arbitration years as well but Tatis will be a Padre until he's 35 years old um I thought it was an excellent contract you look at the contracts 10 years ago or five years ago now, they don't really touch the contracts nowadays. Um, in the MLB, it was very interesting, obviously, a league that took quite a hit from the coronavirus. But despite all of that, the top players are still getting paid. And they're getting paid how they would have a year ago or two years ago. Um, Tatis is very, very good at what he does. And more than that, he is the rising face of baseball. And he sells tickets. He sells tickets. He sells TV rights. They're going to have a lot of nationally televised games. They're going to have a lot of new fans. He is fun to watch, and he's really good. Um, I thought it was kind of a no-brainer for the Padres. I think that if Tatis is 80% of what he was last year or 90% of what he was last year for the rest of his career, and that's assuming that a 22-year-old who just three years, four years ago, was traded for James Shields. He was not a top prospect when he was signed uh, out of the international pool. Even even if you say this guy doesn't improve and he just plays like this, I think he's well worth the contract. Um, and I think that there's no reason to believe he will not keep getting better. I think he's really, really good. I think the Padres are going to be really, really good. And even further than that, it just made me think about some of these deals that have signed uh, been signed a in the past few years on these young players. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but the Braves pretty much got away with two robberies in the past few years. They signed Ozzy Albies to an eight-year contract that pays him, I believe, less than $10 million a year. Uh, Ronald Acuna signed for, I, th- I think the number was eight years, $100 million. And I think there's an argument to be made that Acuna is better than Tatis is right now. Uh, and he's almost as young. So I think it's just, you know, these young guys signing the contracts in baseball, on the one hand, it's great because it gives them insurance and Tatis will not have to worry about money for the rest of his life unless he severely messes up. But on the other hand, it's this this evolving market. At least Tatis got the big, big payday. I It really got me thinking about Acuna and what his agent must be thinking right now after when his con- when his player is getting – paid 12 and a half a year when Tatis is getting 30 a year. Um, and it made me think as well about the next wave. Uh, MLB is, Tatis is just the poster boy of it. MLB has some great young players right now and really young, uh, not even 25, 25 and below. Acuna, we mentioned Tatis and Juan Soto is probably the next one and maybe the best one uh, out in Washington. Hasn't signed a contract yet. We'll see what they end up doing. Uh, Washington obviously 
has a past of letting their players go. Uh, Bryce Harper uh, left at 26 years old. So we'll see what happens with Soto and what effect this Tatis deal has. Yeah, both of you have great points. Uh, I think as the market evolves, you definitely want to lock in your young players early, uh, especially when they're the best in the league. Only the Red Sox would be crazy enough to let a player like that go. Um, but I can also sympathize with Brandon's point. Um, I remember Joe Maurer of my Minnesota Twins basically just, uh, for lack of a better word, leached tens of millions of dollars from the Twins on his gigantic contract uh, without uh, coming close to meeting the standards that we thought he'd play at. Um, but as we move along, uh, I know we've been talking a lot about the Padres. Brandon, you seem very high on the Mets. Uh, are there any other teams that you're looking out for, uh, maybe in the National League, to uh, try and surmount the uh, all-powerful Dodgers or make some noise in the American League either? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Dodgers not only re-signing their, you know, Blake Trinan, Justin Turner, their big free agents, but also going out and getting Bauer, who, you know, regardless – makes them, I think, what are the, the third team in, or maybe the sixth team in, NFL, in MLB history to have three former Cy Young Awards in their starting five rotation, along with Kershaw and Price. Um, I don't see anyone at the time being, at least, competing with them. I think the Padres were close. I really, I agree with no. I really like what the Padres have done. I think they've improved the most. Um, you know, regardless of whether or not I agree with the terms of the contract, locking down Tatis is, is, was big for them. Um, they also have, you know, guys like Hosmer, and Machado uh, locked up for a while. And getting Darvish and Snell, who are two on their own, two number one starting pitchers, and getting them for, you know, what was 60 cents on the dollar, um, you know, it just was really incredible. Uh, I like the Cardinals a lot. I really like the addition of Nolan Arenado. I think he's a very above average defensive player, one of the best defensive players at one of the, at probably the hardest defensive position in the league. And he can also hit for power, and he adds a lot to that lineup, along with Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I really like what they've done. I think they're still a, little, a step behind the Padres and Dodgers, right? Maybe on on par with the Mets. Um, but I, I like the Cardinals, but I still think the Padres and Dodgers are the two big heads or big dogs in in the NL. Uh, and how about the American League? Yeah, the American League, I think – you know, that's a, a step behind the NL. I like the Yankees a lot coming out of the AL. Uh, it's hard to sleep on Tampa Bay after the year they had. Um, but if you're talking about teams that have improved, um, you know, I like I like your Minnesota Twins. Um, I'm always high on Oakland. And the uh, and every year, it seems like going in, I'm, I'm high on the Angels. I think that they build enough. They build enough around Trout. Um, we'll see if they've done it this year. I'm hopeful. I really would like to see him in the playoffs. You know, it's sad for as good of a player as he's been. He's, I, I don't think I think he's made the playoffs once, and he has never finished below fifth in MVP voting for the AL. The fifth, him getting fifth was this past year when he was hurt in a shortened season. Um, so I'm hopeful for the Angels. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are, Noah. Yeah, uh, just speaking of Mike Trout. Every single offseason, we hope that he's going to get some pieces around him. I was pretty sure that uh, 
that the Angels were going to end up with Trevor Bauer. Instead, he went to the Dodgers, uh, the other California team, one of the other California teams, which disappointed me because Mike Trout, he may be the greatest baseball player of all time, and they don't surround him with the talent that he needs, and I think it's a crime, and I think he should be in Philadelphia, but that's a topic for another time. Um, I think that in the AL, the White Sox got a lot better, and beyond getting better, their guys are getting older too, more mature. They're a really good team, and I think they're going to be a really good team. They got Liam Hendricks this offseason, and if Liam Hendricks is, again, 75% of what he was last year, he may be the best reliever in baseball. He hasn't had that long of a track record, so it's difficult to make that judgment now. Um, but he is quite good. They got they re-signed Jose Abreu, who may be the most underrated MLB MVP of all time uh, with his incredible year last year. The Padres got so much better. The Mets got better, too, um, for sure. Their lineup may still have some holes in it, but just sheer talent-wise, they got quite better. I see the Padres as a 100-win-plus wildcard team. I, I can see a situation where the Dodgers win 105 games and the Padres win 100 uh, and then face off sometime in the playoffs. And then the other team is the Cardinals. I don't think that the Cardinals are on that same level as the Dodgers. They're definitely not on the level of the Dodgers. I don't think they're on the level with the Padres either. I think they're in that next tier, but I think that they've asserted themselves as a pretty clear leader in the NL Central. I think their rotation should still be good. People don't realize quite how good Jack Flaherty is. I think he is quite good. I think they got they have Dakota Hudson and a couple of other young pitchers. I'm blanking on their other uh, pitcher's name who came over last year from Asia, um, who was great last year as well. Uh, and Nolan Arenado is he was underrated playing in Colorado in in the uh, Rocky Mountain time zone. But Nolan Arenado is the best defensive third baseman in baseball, and he's a top three offensive first ba- third baseman in baseball. He is so much fun to watch. Uh, I'm excited to watch him on what should be a really good Cardinals team this year. All right. Uh, and soon I want to talk about your predictions for uh, playoffs or individual playoff or player accolades, excuse me. Um, but before we get into that, any any controversies you might want to talk about uh, or what you think the MLB uh, scene is going to look like after this shortened COVID season? For sure. So first, just to touch on the controversies, um, I'm sure many are aware, Kevin Mather, president of, now former president of the Mariners, was quoted as saying some not great things, both about his players and about baseball. He criticized his players, his international players, for using translators. Um, He also very readily admitted to service time manipulation. Uh, For those who aren't aware, in the MLB, there are loopholes where you can leave a player in the minor leagues for two weeks about. And when you do that, you take away a year of service time. Therefore, they enter free agency a year later. Now, teams have been doing this for many years. Uh, it's not new, but it is one of those things that it's unspoken. You don't really do it. For example, Chris Bryant is the 
poster child kind of of it because Chris Bryant had an incredible spring training when he was the number one prospect in baseball. He had the most home runs in baseball and a 400 average or so in spring training. And then he ha- he went down to the minor leagues for exactly 12 days, which was the exact amount of time they needed to get another service year out of him. So Chris Bryant would have been a free agent this past offseason, now has won the next one. And then Chris Bryant ended up winning the rookie of the year that year and having an incredible season. He was very ready for the MLB, but the service time was manipulated. Um, the Mariners admitted to doing much of the same with Jared Kelenic, the prospect they got in their robbery of the Mets years ago. Brennan knows well about that and his five ERA closer who was given up for one of the top prospects in baseball. But anyways, um, pretty poor stuff from the Mariners front. They are embarrassed as well as they should be. Math or probably won't work in baseball for a good long while. Uh, but I'm very interested, especially as we watch spring training, so many young guys in spring training, so many minor leaguers, and some will show that they should be with the big league team. I'm very curious to see if these teams are more hesitant now to so blatantly uh, leave their players in the minors when they could be in the majors and get that extra year of service time. Because as a, as a business decision, we all understand where it's coming from, especially for a small market team like Seattle. Um, if Kalanick's what they believe he is, then he could, they could be saving $25 million by doing that or having to give out a long-term deal, maybe one more year of having him before he has to leave to go to a major, uh, a major city. Um, but it's not right. Baseball needs to fix this issue. I believe that it's something that will come up in the next CBA. I know Mike Trout and others have been very vocal about the fact that this is not how things are supposed to go. And I do believe that in the next collective bargaining, bargaining agreement, there will be, some change to this type of rule, uh, and Kevin Mather may have pushed that out. Uh, and then with regards to COVID, I'm, I'm very interested to see how the MLB can handle it. It's, it's been fascinating from an outside looking in standpoint to think about how now the four major U.S. sports have handled the coronavirus in their return to play. I would argue that the MLB did it in a pretty poor manner last year. Uh, last season, given how little contact there is in the sport. I'm curious to see how they improve things, how they do not improve things, uh, if they're able to stop the contamination between teams. I know my Phillies last year lost out on 10 days of games, then making them have have to make up tons of games later, all because of a false positive in somebody who worked for them. And a strength and conditioning coach had a false positive. I think it was a strength and conditioning coach. So can the MLB iron out some of those issues and have a quicker, better season this year? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting interesting thought, Noah. And going back to the Mariner scandal, you know, not only did we give up Kellenic for Diaz, but don't forget about that Cano contract. Um, Exactly. But, yeah. But either way, you know, it's just – it's a tough situation um, for a franchise that is really one of the least winning – in the history of pro sports. I mean, they have the longest playoff drought in any of the four major sports. I, I believe it's now 20 years. They've never won a World Series. And, I, you know, I can't even remember the last time they were that competitive, um, you know, for entire, for no one, our, for all of our entire lives. Uh, they have made, they've not made the playoffs and have just been 
you know, one of the base, one of the teams in the basement on the MLB. Um, and, you know, Noah and I were talking about it. And this is one of those videos that if there was a GM school, a school for general managers, you play this video as in these are the mistakes. These are you hit on every major mistake um, to 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 do if you're a GM. Um, so it's just a tough situation. And, you know, I hope the Mariners and their fan base can bounce back from it. And in terms of the COVID season, you're right. I mean, it was 60. I, I like I honestly like the format. I was a fan of the new playoff system of eight teams, I think, with five. There are a lot of good teams that miss out. Um, your Phillies, I'm not saying they're a good team, but your Phillies would have missed out last last year, Noah. Um, and I think going back to five is is fine. And it's more it's more uh, on tradition of you know what they have been doing, and same with the pitchers hitting in the NL, which I know you love that that it's back. Um, oh yeah, but it's interest it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they adapt, considering that, like you said, out of the four major sports, this is by far the least um, you know players getting into into close proximity with each other. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. All right. Uh, now let's move on to season predictions. We've talked enough about uh, what's happened before the season starts, but um, spring training is here and uh, the season is just around the corner. Fingers crossed there are no delays. Uh, and to keep this quick, why don't we have uh, Brandon, do you want to give us maybe your AL predictions and then Noah can do nationally? Yeah, sure. So I think it's hard for anyone to come out of the AL East besides the Yankees. I am as I'm about as less of a, as least of a fan of the Yankees as you could be, but I, I just think they have too much talent. Um, I think they've had a really nice off season, uh, locking down the Mayhew, signing Corey Kluber on a one year deal. Um, so I'm picking them out of the AL. I also like, as Noah said, the White Sox uh, coming out of the Central, and then I'm going to go with the A's out of the West, and then wild cards being. Uh, I like Houston still. I think they have a lot to prove. Uh, Correa, we'll see if he signs an extension. Um, but I like Houston and I like Tampa coming out of the wild cards. Nice. And Noah, National League? National League. I still like the Braves as much as it hurts me um, to come out of the East. I, the Mets got much better, but the Braves are still incredibly good. That lineup is great. As long as the pitching holds up, they should come out of the East, the Central. I do believe the Cardinals will end up winning that division. Um, I think they're better than the rest of the pack, especially with the Reds taking a step back. And I think the Dodgers will win the West. Uh, and then for the two wildcard teams, I do see it being two teams. Winning. I see it being the Padres and the Phillies. All right. And before we move on to our NBA segment, uh, either of you have any bold predictions uh, for some uh, player performances or even just team performances who you think is going to win MVP, anything like that? Optimistically, I have Bryce Harper winning the MVP. Pessimistically, I have Francisco Lindor winning the MVP. You see, I would go the exact opposite. I'd say optimistically, Francisco Lindor. I wouldn't even say pessimistically, Bryce Harper. He's about 10th on my list, if I had to, if I had to guess. <laughs> um, but... No, I like Francisco Lindor a lot. I think he's going to add a lot to our team, and I think we're going to be real contenders, and that's why I'd, I'd go with him for my MVP. All right, perfect. Uh, I have a bold prediction for myself. I'm knocking on wood. 
and saying the Twins will win a playoff game. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, that's enough MLB. Uh, that was a good segment, NBA. Uh, the All-Star game is fast approaching, and the rosters were just announced, as well as some entry replacements. Uh, Brandon, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, it was a really good and comprehensive all-star game. The rosters were good. Um, I think they did a good job choosing. I think my one minor concern would be, or my one minor tweak would be Dame Lillard starting over Doncic. Um, I think what Portland has done without McCollum and Nurkic has been a real testament to how good Lillard is. Um, And I think he should be starting. That's a minor thing. In terms of snubs, I honestly don't really think anyone – got snubbed i think booker was the big one and he got in with the davis replacement or replacing anthony davis uh, i think Noah and i are in agreement in terms of jace uh jason tatum maybe not being the most deserving considering how he's had good stats but the celtics are a are two games under 500 they're not in a playoff spot and they're just in the middle of a very crowded eastern conference field i would have liked to seen sabonis get in i think bam out of bio has the talent he is you know, he's been the only real bright spot for this team um, in a te- in a year that they started off 7-14 and 14 and now they're back to, I believe, 15-17, and 17, uh, getting Butler back. But it's a team that made the finals last year, as I'm sure everyone knows. And he's shooting 81.3% in the restricted area, 85% from free throw percentage uh, for someone who gets to the line six times a game or who shoots six times a game. Um, I would have liked to have seen him in. I understand that it wasn't Miami's. It hasn't been Miami's season so far, though. And Noah, uh, are you in agreement with all those points? I'm mostly in, agree- in agreement, yeah. Brandon and I were t- discussing uh, on our own time that we think that Tatum, the, the Celtics, to me, having two All-Stars is ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to, I don't think that Tatum should be uh, penalized for having the coronavirus, but missing games and being on a losing team and getting in to the All-Star game over a guy like DeMontis Sabonis, who has been pretty phenomenal this year. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous to me. A couple of other guys I thought could have made the team that ended up not getting in. Uh, I thought that Kyrie Irving's starting was a little bit ridiculous as well. He's only played in two-thirds of his team's games and has been a uh, – I don't want to criticize Kyrie because that's been done enough, but I don't know if the on-court production has really been enough to deserve starting in the All-Star game this year over so many other qualifying guys. Um, and in the in the West, I really didn't think that Booker was snubbed that hard. I thought that the Suns deserved to have a player into the All-Star game, given how good their record's been. I thought that Chris Paul very much fit that mold. Um, I mean, you look at the difference between last year and this year, and I know that guys have gotten better Booker's gotten better, but the Suns during the regular season before the bubble last year were not a good basketball team. You bring Chris Paul in, and they're right up there with the best in the West. And I know Booker's gotten better, and he's played well, and Chris Paul's job is to help Devin Booker, but you got to give him some credit for that. I think you have to look at it from that perspective and understand the impact that he's had. Uh, And then other guys that I don't I wouldn't necessarily say we're snubbed. I agree with, uh, but definitely had a definitely had a case to be in the All Star game. I agree with Brandon with Bam. I thought that Shea Gilders Alexander has been phenomenal this year on a pretty bad Thunder team. He's kept them very okay. 
Fred Van Fleet has been good. Trey Young has been good. De'Aaron Fox has been very good lately. Um, even DeMar DeRozan has been very good. I mean, you look where the Spurs are in the Western Conference playoffs right now. Nobody thought that they would be there at the beginning of the year, and nobody is getting any recognition on the all-star teams for that uh, Spurs surprise, I'll say. Uh, and I thought that DeRozan could have gotten that. Um, I don't think anyone would have been upset if he'd gotten a bid, but I, I guess there are only so many spots available. Right, and speaking of spots available, uh, the playoffs uh, are far uh, far ahead in terms of the schedule. We're only just about halfway through the season. But right now, as it stands, there are a lot of uh, maybe surprising teams, especially for a casual viewer such as myself. I see the, the Knicks, Bulls, and Hornets are beating out the Celtics and the Heat in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and in the West, the Nuggets, who had a great performance in the bubble last year, are uh, just barely sitting in at 17 and 15. Uh, and the Mavericks are uh, sitting with a losing record, in fact, uh, after getting the seventh seed last season. Uh, any thoughts on some risers and fallers, pretenders, contenders, maybe? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting if you look at the East standings right now, from the fourth seeded Indiana Pacers to the 10th seeded Miami Heat, they are all within one game of each other. And that's how almost half of the teams in the in the Eastern Conference. You know, it's just super jam-packed and so many teams are on the same talent level of each other. And it's gonna be super fascinating to watch how they all set themselves apart, either in good ways or bad ways. Um, in terms of the East three teams, you said the Bulls, Hornets, and Knicks. Out of those three, I really like the Hornets. I am super high on LaMelo Ball, and I think he's a little too flashy. Um, not, I've never been a huge fan of the Ball family, um, but I respect talent, and I think he's got it. Uh, he's far and away the the leader in Rookie of the Year voting right now. Um, you know, if the season ended, I, I don't think there's a case for anyone else. I think my, my guy Emmanuel quickly on the Knicks would be uh, second. Um, I know Noah likes Maxi on Philadelphia, but it's been LaMelo. They also have Terry Rozier, who's – contract at the time when he left Boston looked a little steep, but he's been phenomenal with them. And they also have Devontae Graham. They're, the guard play is really good. I'm a little concerned about their big men. I think going in, if they if they want to be serious playoff contenders, Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo are not going to be enough. PJ Washington's a nice young player, but he's not there yet. Um, but I really like Gordon Hayward and and Miles Bridges too. Miles Bridges coming off the benches of, and Malik Monk too. I mean, just they have a really well-rounded team. Um, and I think they've got a really bright future in their guards. Need to figure out the the backcourt situation a little bit more, but or sorry, the frontcourt situation a little more. But but I really like them, and I I'm not super high on Chicago um, defensively. I think they're below average. They give up I think the fifth or sixth most points per game in the league. Zach Levine has turned into this, you know, stud kind of. It was it was a gradual thing, but he, he kind of turned it on out of nowhere. Um, for this season, you know, he was always known in Minnesota as this athletic guy who would be in dunk contests and played really good defense. And now he's, you know, scoring at will. Um, and he's rightfully an all-star. So I think Chicago is a good team and I really like Levine, but they're not, I think they're pretenders, whereas Charlotte's a contender. So I, well, if I'm talking about contenders, I think there are three real contenders in the East this year. Um, the top three teams right now, the Sixers, 
the Nets and the Bucks. I don't really think that anyone else is of that same caliber, uh, barring Boston doing something drastic at the trade deadline. Um, then my bold prediction for the, the Eastern Conference right now is that those three teams that are currently in that six, those six, seven, and eight spots do not end up making playoffs. I think that the Bulls have a bright future. They need to hold on to Levine. I like that kid, Patrick Williams. I like Kobe White. I like what they're doing. I just don't think they're quite there yet. Um, Markinen can't stay healthy and doesn't play defense. Uh, Wendell Carter, we'll see. Again, a bunch of nice young pieces. I don't know. I mean, this year, if they make it in, they'll be an eight seed and get clobbered by whoever that one seed is, in my opinion. The Hornets, I think it's similar. I think if you're a Hornets fan, you're thrilled right now. Um, they look excellent. LaMelo is easily the rookie of the year. Tyrese Halliburton's quite good as well, but just isn't getting the same minutes. So LaMelo will win that award for sure. And again, as you said, Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, some good young players. Uh, and the Knicks also playing out of their mind, but I don't know if they have the talent to hold up. I think that those six, seven, eight teams will end up being replaced by Boston and Miami for sure. And then I think either Atlanta or Washington. Washington's been playing a lot better of late. They just got a great road win uh, at the Lakers. So I think that those two, one of those two teams will definitely slip into the playoffs. And the other possibility is there's been a lot of trade talks surrounding Kyle Lowry. I wonder if Lowry gets sent out, if this Raptors team can hold on to a playoff spot in what will be a competitive bottom of the Eastern Conference. So then maybe one of those Chicago, New York, or Charlotte teams ends up holding on to a playoff spot there. Um, in the West, I agree with you. I think that the Mavericks team may not really have it this year. They, they it, I've watched a bunch of Magic ba uh, Mavericks basketball since I love watching Luka play. I think he's awesome. But they don't look as fluid as they did last year. Porzingis can't stay on the court. That doesn't help. Uh, they just haven't quite put it all together. Luca's phenomenal, but he can only do so much. Uh, I actually think that the Spurs have a solid chance of making the playoffs this year. I don't think they'll do anything once they get into the playoffs. I think that, I think my personal opinion is that until, and the Jazz are coming close right now, but until someone gives me a reason not to believe in it, I believe that it will be one of those two LA teams coming out of the West. Um, I think that the Trailblazers are good. CJ McCollum was out of his mind before he got hurt. So if he comes back and does even part of that, they're going to be great. Dame is playing great. I think that the Suns are a really, really, really solid team. I don't think that they are in that top two plus jazz. I don't think that they're quite there. Uh, and the Warriors, no one's going to want to face the Warriors in the playoffs. Um, I, and I believe they will be in the playoffs. No one's going to want to face the Warriors in the playoffs. Steph is Steph still. Uh, people were worried, the ankles, whatever. He's still himself, maybe even better. Oubre is getting better by the day. Wiggins is not what anyone thought he'd be when he got drafted, but he is becoming a solid player, and he's playing defense, which he never did in Minnesota. Sorry, Henry. Um, and then Wiseman just got back from an injury as well. If he continues to get better, uh, they hold on to all their pieces. This is a Warriors team that maybe isn't in that top flight in the West, but they're 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 right behind it, in my opinion. Yeah, and building off of what you said, a Golden State 
you know, like you said, I think it's very it's super. It's incredibly refreshing to see Steph command his own team for the first time in a few years. You know, last year he got hurt, and then three years before that he was Durant, and then you know, in the in the in the year prior to Durant coming, he commanded his own team and was the MVP. They won the finals. It was, or sorry, it was two years before. Um, but you know, it's been super nice seeing Curry command his own team. And, you know, there are a lot of doubts. I think there's not really any more doubt that he's definitely a top five player in the NBA. I would argue top three. Um, you know, watching him play the Knicks a few nights ago, he just makes some shots look easy when, you know, no other player in the NBA could take it and make it with as high as as close as high frequency. He's, you know, an incredible passer. He's such good court vision. And, you know, Steph, Steph looks great. I agree with you. I'm a little bearish on San Antonio. Um, I think they've had a nice start, but um, you know, I don't think their talent level is on par with those other teams vying for playoff spots. Obviously they have Popovich, but you know, when you look at a team like Dallas, I think they got to do something with Porzingis. I don't know if that's trade him or motivate him somehow. It, it feels like he's not even trying that much. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see them trade for a big man. I know there's been rumors with Drummond um, and some other guys uh, maybe PJ Tucker, but you know, with Porzingis, you can space the floor well. And I think trading for one of those big name centers, those big play guys down low, um, will help them. And I think I think they're a better team than San Antonio. And I'm I'm waiting, similar to Boston, I'm just waiting for them to turn the corner and be that team that everyone thought they would be at the beginning of the year. And it's actually funny that you group them together, Brandon, because I think that Drummond will go to either Boston or Dallas. Um, that's my personal opinion there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time uh, at the bottom of the ladder with teams that are just trying to make their uh, make their runs to the playoffs. But now let's go to the top. Uh, there are a lot of big teams that you expect to see there, uh, like the Lakers and the Nets with their big three. But I'm also interested to hear about uh, the Jazz. We're on an incredible run uh, to start this season, do you think they can translate that into playoff success, which they couldn't do last year, or the 76ers who are looking healthier than ever and have Doc Rivers at the helm? Maybe they can make a big run as well. Yeah, I would agree with what Noah said, which was until the Jazz, you know, who have been far and away the best team in the regular season this year out of the entire NBA. I mean, they've been simply on fire. Gobert's been the defensive anchor that everyone knew he was. Mitchell's been playing great, but they're role players. I mean, Conley, Bogdanovich, Ingles, Clarkson, even Royce O'Neal. They have just been a very solid team with very, very few holes. I've seen more holes in the Lakers and Clippers than I've seen with Utah, which I never would have imagined going into the season. That being said, I think come playoff time, it's going to be tough to take it away from one of the two LA teams. Um, you know, Utah has been. I think they've made 53 points in their last two games. They've made 53-point field goals, which is the most in a two-game span in NBA history. You know, they've just been lighting it up. And in one of those games, they they killed LeBron and the Lakers. Um, but I think in the playoffs experience and just wanting it more comes into effect and or comes into play. You know, last year they looked good. And then Denver, you know, came out of nowhere and, and won three games and took the series from them. I think Utah is a very, very good team. And I think they'll they very well might end up with the number one seed in the in the West. I don't see a scenario where LeBron or Kawhi doesn't go in there and steal a series. 
to take it to 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 get them to the NBA Finals. In terms of the East, I know no, you're going to disagree with me here. I think Philly is a little bit of a step behind Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Um, in terms of how they've been playing, Embiid is at the top of his game. Simmons has been playing very well. Tobias, I know you thought he should have been an all-star. He's been playing very well. I like the additions of Danny Green and Seth Curry. I know Curry's been on and off hurt, but he's been good. Um, you know, they have a very solid team. I don't know, unless they add someone big at the trade deadline, which I know they're trying, which I know there's been a lot of rumors about, I don't see them really beating Brooklyn. And I think Brooklyn's got a lot of issues defensively. But when you've got players like Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving, you know, along with Jeff Green and Joe Harris, who are both solid players, DeAndre Jordan coming off the bench, I think that it's going to be tough for anyone to take it away from Brooklyn. No, Brandon, I don't – I hear what you're saying. Um, I hear what you're saying 100%. Um, but my – as a Sixers fan, our outlook is this. Who on Brooklyn is stopping Joel Embiid? There, there's not – there's no one there. DeAndre Jordan is old and doesn't play great defense anymore. And the strength of the Sixers roster is Joel Embiid and perimeter defense. And that's kind of what you need versus if there is a blueprint that can beat this Brooklyn team. And I don't know if there is, because I, I would agree with you. They are the favorites in the East. But I think if there is a blueprint to beat this Brooklyn team, it's a dominant big and really good perimeter defense. And that's certainly something the Sixers have. Um, so I think that gives them a chance. I, I don't know if it's I, I don't know if it's a better than 50 percent chance, but I think it gives them a chance. And personally, I just I can't believe in Milwaukee in the playoffs until I see them win a playoff series, um, like a big playoff series, not a first round series. They've choked years, years in a row. And Giannis, for how dominant he is, and he is dominant in the regular season, teams are able to defend him in the playoffs. And the Sixers, I think, are as well suited as anyone in basketball to defend Giannis uh, with a player like Ben Simmons, who has a legitimate shot for defensive player of the year. Also to note with the, with regards to the Sixers is there's been a lot of talk, especially of very recently, of Kyle Lowry potentially making his way back to Philadelphia, former Villanova Wildcat. And if that happens, I truly do objectively believe that the Sixers are right there with Brooklyn um, because that starting five of Simmons, Lowry, Curry, Harris, and Embiid, it's Maybe in star power, it's not right there with Brooklyn, but it's right behind. Uh, and in the West, I agree with you. I hope I'm wrong about this Jazz team because I, I would rather see this Jazz team go to the finals than the Lakers. Um, but I think that it's going to be one of those two L.A. teams. I think that in the playoffs, I don't know if they're – you asked me, I want one player. I get to pick one player in the playoffs. It's LeBron and then it's Kawhi. Um, that's who I want. Paul George has been phenomenal this year as well, which I think gives the Clippers a good chance uh, as well. And I don't, I don't, I know it's it's been very recent with Anthony Davis not playing, and it showed weaknesses that probably aren't there when he is playing. But I don't. Everyone was very excited about this Lakers team having better roster construction than last year, and I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, Schroeder's a good player. Don't get me wrong; he's very ball dominant. And that's what LeBron does, especially in playoff times. Uh, so how many 
he's able to get in the playoffs when LeBron is handling the ball for 36 to 40 minutes a night is questionable to me. Um, Marcus Gasol's old. He looks old. He is still a solid enough defender, but his offensive production's not quite there. Uh, Harrell's good. Montrose Harrell's good. But again, they don't seem to want to play him like a starting center, which is fair after he had that six many of the year worthy year last year. I, I just don't know how much better the Lakers have actually gotten. And I actually think they've gotten worse. Um, which makes me think that maybe the Clippers could beat them. It also could be optimistic. I really don't like the Lakers team. I'll be completely brutally honest about that. But I think it will be a battle of those two LA teams for the West. And in the East, I do believe it will be come down to the Sixers in Brooklyn. And right now I would say that Brooklyn has the edge but I don't know if it's as definitive as everyone may believe it is. All right. Sounds like the consensus uh, is one of the LA teams versus the 76ers or Nets. Uh, And before we finally wrap this up, uh, any quick trade predictions as the deadline comes up a month away, any, any bad teams trying to dump off assets or, uh, teams on the edge of the playoffs trying to make some acquisitions? Yeah, so as no one I just alluded to, I think Drummond is a piece that will undoubtedly get traded. I mean, Cleveland has started sitting him and not playing him to to not risk him getting hurt and them being stuck with the, with his contract. Um, I like both Boston and Dallas. I think Dallas, both teams, with a really good defensively and good rebounding center, Will will seriously improve. I think that's been the biggest weakness for both teams. So I like Drummond going either there. I also like him in Toronto. I think Toronto is one of those teams where, you know, as Noah said, Kyle Lowry's kind of there's been a lot of trade talks about him. If he stays and they go for it again this year, I like Drummond in Toronto a lot too. Um, there's also Blake Griffin. You know, his former teammate who Detroit has started sitting. It's a very similar situation, and from what I've heard. Really not much going in the trade market, not much interest for, for Griffin in the trade market. Um, I think what's going to end up happening is most likely a buyout. And in terms of where he goes, I like Miami a lot for him. Um, I think Bam, the, what, such a good thing about Bam out of Iowa is how well they can Miami can spread the floor. And that makes room for a guy like Blake Griffin to slide into the four, the, the four position. And he's not what he used to be or even close. I think there's been, you know, a huge drop off in, in terms of his production and his athleticism, but he's still a difference maker. And even if he comes off the bench, I think a team like Miami, who has really started finding their way, but really struggled and a bit of disappointment this year, I'd love to see him there. Um, I think Miles Turner could be on the move. I think with uh, guys like, or with a guy like Sabonis, who's the future, and Miles Turner having a, a contract up, I believe, in, in two years. I think it might make sense, maybe not now, to move him. But in the near future, I like Washington. And again, I like Miami for him as well. Uh, and then you got other guys, John Collins, P.J. Tucker, both on bad teams, more so in, in terms of P.J. Tucker, who can be, you know, he was very effective in his role with Houston. He can guard center. He can guard any position or not any position. He can guard the three, four, or five very well. And I like teams like the Lakers and Bucks a lot for him. Um, and then John Collins is an interesting case because he is a very, very talented player, one of the best on that Hawks team. And 
he's going to be a restricted free agent, and they have a lot of young players that they're going to need to pay. Um, so he might not fit into their long-term plans, and right now they can get as much as out of him as they as they possibly can. Um, and I like a, a team I like a lot for him is San Antonio. I think Lamarcus Aldridge is in a contract year, and his play has undoubtedly declined. Um, he's just gotten older with obviously he's gotten older with age, and he's just not looked as good. I think John Collins can slide into that four spot and be that big man for the for the center, uh, big man for the future of San Antonio, and play alongside DeRozan for the next few years. They got a good young core in in Murray, in Dejounte Murray, and uh, White. I believe his name is White. Um, Doug White. So I think I, I'm looking forward to to seeing if he gets traded. I like San Antonio a lot for Collins if he does wind up being moved. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you, Brandon. I, I I see the big big names like a Bradley Beal and a Zach Levine staying in place. Uh, I don't think that there will be an offer out there worth spinning them for. I hate to say it because I don't want it to happen. I do think Drummond goes to Boston uh, because they have that mid level exception from the Hayward deal this offseason, if, if people don't remember. the Hay- When Hayward went to Charlotte, it was actually a sign-and-trade, uh, and the Boston Celtics picked up the biggest trade exception of all time in the M- NBA history. That trade exception would perfectly fit in that big Andre Drummond contract, so I, I do think that we end up seeing that happen. Uh, I do think Blake Griffin will be released. I personally think it would be awesome to watch him go back to the Clippers. Uh, I don't know if he still harbors animosity towards that that franchise, but I think it would be cool to see him go back to L.A. He was so much fun there. Uh, John Collins, as you mentioned, another fun piece. I think he – I'm not sure where he'll go. I really like that Spurs idea. Uh, I always think it's fun to watch talented players go and play in pop system because he can make so much of them. And then P.J. Tucker is one of those – contender-filling players. I could see him going to L.A., uh, the Lakers. I could see him going to Philadelphia. I could see him going to even Brooklyn. Uh, pretty much anywhere where they need a 3-and-D guy who's very versatile, which in the playoffs is literally everybody. So P.J. Tucker, I think that everyone will be interested in P.J. Tucker's services. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rockets somehow pull a first-round pick out of him because that's where I think his market will be, at least two seconds. Um, so that'll be interesting. And other big, bigger names, Lowry, I think, I think it's going to be interesting what Toronto chooses to do. There's been talk about them wanting to reward Lowry for, you know, his service in Toronto, getting them a championship, being so loyal. He signed that team-friendly contract a few years ago that he's still on. Um, and the idea that the Raptors want to reward him by sending him to a contender is potentially very interesting. Uh, and I think that that would lead to him going to maybe the Sixers, maybe the Clippers, maybe the Heat, which completely could shake things up because Kyle Lowry wasn't an all-star this year. I believe he's been an all-star the past five years, four years before that. He is still a difference maker. He is still such a good defender at the guard position. He can still shoot. He can still handle the ball. He can play off ball. He can do everything well. He's getting up there. But for a player for this year, there are not that many better uh, that will be available on the trade at the trade deadline. All right. I think that'll do it uh, for our NBA segment. Uh, Brandon, Noah, thanks for hopping on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the JumboCast podcast. Be sure to follow us at Tufts JumboCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to keep up with all of our exclusive Tufts coverage and digital content. See you next week.